Hello, everybody. So the song today is Happy Be Me by Britton. You uh, haven't seen her on TikTok or seen her music around. I suggest you go find her and listen to it because it's pretty great. The usual warning. I am not a professional. Maybe one day I will be. But today is not that day. Do not take anything I say as gospel. And please seek professional help if you think you need it. So, having said all of that, today we are talking about eating disorders, so that's going to come with a big trigger warning. So, trigger warnings for obviously eating disorder talk, food, vomit, anxiety, suicidal ideation, self-harm, a, a lot of the things. Um, we're going to be talking about some pretty, I don't want to say like in-depth stuff, but we're going to be talking about some stuff that maybe... Might grow some people out. I don't know. So if you've been listening for a while, you might know that I kind of have a love-hate relationship with the DSM-5, or the any of the DSMs, I guess. I think it's okay as a guide, but there seems to be too many doctors or clinicians who use it like it's a Bible, for lack of a better term. It's like... If it's in the DSM, it's concrete, and I don't necessarily believe that. However, there are a few things that I have pulled from the DSM that are going to be in the episode today um, to try and describe some of the disorders. Feeding and eating disorders are kind of categorized as this persistent or ongoing disturbance of eating or eating-related behavior that ends in the altered consumption of food that really impairs physical health physical health or psychological functioning something interesting i guess is that obesity is not included in the zsm5 as a mental disorder um there's a wide range of genetics or physiological behavioral environmental factors that all kind of vary in across individuals um, that contribute to becoming obese so it's not considered a mental disorder so the first thing that we're going to talk about is called pica and that's the eating or craving of things that are not food um so the thing that you're eating or the substance that you crave it might be biological or natural or man-made so that can be things like dirt moss tree bark rocks yarn toilet paper plastics hair all kinds of things so for people who have pica um it can be many things that draw them to whatever it is that they're eating it could simply just be the taste or maybe the texture so pica as like a standalone eating disorder 
to be, I guess, diagnosed, it has to persist for more than one month at an age when eating whatever it is that you're eating is considered developmentally inappropriate. So, like, young kids, they either eat or put all kinds of things in their mouths that they shouldn't. This isn't Pika. Also, it can't be part of like a cultural a culturally sanctioned practice so something that's normal to a certain culture it can't it can't be normal in that culture um it also can't be associated with another medical condition it has to be severe enough to warrant seeing a doctor for the researchers aren't exactly sure what the prevalence is because people aren't usually very honest with things that they've been eating or the severity of it. And so they guess it's anywhere from 6 to 68% across various groups, but that's a huge guess. Like there's a there's a huge gap in there. On top of that, um PICA may lead to intoxication. Uh, particularly in children, which can result in impairment impairment in um, both physical development and mental development. For example, if they're eating lead paint or eating soil that's been previously contaminated with toxins, that's definitely that's definitely going to affect them. Also, in addition, it can cause surgical emergencies um, to address intestinal obstructions. That's where you eat something and it can't pass through your system and it gets stuck and that is definitely a medical emergency. Other things um, that are a little more subtle symptom-wise is like nutritional deficiencies or parasite infestations in the gut. Um, The parasite infestations usually come from like people who are eating dirt or something that are contaminated. And something a little bit interesting, I guess, is Pika has also been found in other species besides humans, like in cats and dogs. Mineral deficiencies are occasionally associated with it. People might eat like plaster and soil or ice. They're actually more likely to be anemic or have low hemoglobin concentrations in their blood, uh, lower levels of red blood cells or low zinc. So sometimes your body kind of might be trying to do you a favor in a way because it's genuinely low on something and it's looking for it. However, that isn't always the case, but you know, if you're concerned, definitely go see a doctor. So there is a little bit of comorbidity with other disorders. So PICA can be seen in things like schizophrenia and OCD, and it can also be associated with trichotillomania, which is like hair pulling, and sometimes people eat that. And then there's also like skin picking disorders. So treatments for this typically involve therapy and medications like SSIRIs, which are antidepressants, a class of antidepressant. Um, But previous reports have kind of cautioned against the use of medications until all non-psychological causes have been ruled out. So like I said, like something like anemia or some kind of nutritional deficiency. So, I mean, that's kind of good that they're not just, like, throwing pills at people and being like, go away. Or that's what 
they want the standard to be anyway. So the next thing that we are going to talk about is rumination disorder. Um, so this is kind of where vomiting and stuff comes in. So if that's not your bag, you can just fast forward or something. <laughs> so rumination disorder syndrome is a condition where people repeatedly or unintentionally spit up or regurgitate undigested or partially digested food from the stomach and they re-chew it and then either re-swallow it, re it or spit it out. And because the food hasn't been digested, it apparently tastes normal still, like it's not acidic like vomit would be. And this rumination usually happens at every meal or very soon after. So... A few, uh, well, the DSM criteria is, again, that repeated regurgitation of food, but this has to happen for at least one month continuously. Um, and then it can't be because of another medical condition, like acid reflux or something like that. And then this, this also doesn't occur exclusively during the course of something else, like another de eating disorder, like anorexia or bulimia or any other kind of eating disorder. So other symptoms include very effortless regurgitation, especially within 10 minutes of eating, abdominal pain or like pressure relieved by regurgitation, a feeling of fullness, nausea, and then unintentional weight loss. They're not exactly sure the precise cause of rumination syndrome, but it appears to be caused by an increase in abdominal pressure. And it's confused a lot with things like bulimia or acid reflux disease or gastroparesis, which is very slow stomach emptying. And so this is more likely to occur in people with things like anxiety, depression, or other uh, psychiatric disorders. So if it's left untreated, rumination syndrome can damage the tube between your mouth and your stomach, which is your esophagus. And it can also cause, again, unhealthy weight loss, malnutrition, dental erosion because of the acid and stuff on your teeth, um, bad breath. And so treatments involve a lot of the same as the other eating disorders. Um, therapy, there's, for this, there's biofeedback that looks promising, like diaphragmatic breathing, um, which apparently prevents abdominal contractions and regurgitations. And then there's also different medications that can be prescribed, like PPIs, which are uh, proton pump inhibitors, which those basically just make your body create less stomach acid. The next disorder that we're going to talk about is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. It was previously referred to as selective eating disorder. Um, so this is similar to anorexia in that both involve limitations in the amount or the types of food that people eat. But unlike anorexia, it does not involve like significant distress about body shape or size or fear of being larger. So again, there's some DSM criteria. 
There has to be significant weight loss, significant nutritional deficiency, dependence on um, oral nutritional supplements and things like that, and then a very prominent interference with psychosocial functioning. It also... It, it can't be explained by, like, a lack of available food or, again, with any culturally sanctioned practice. So it can't be something normal for that culture. And it also can't occur exclusively during um, anorexia or bulimia. And there's no evidence of a disturbance in the way... Um, somebody perceives their body shape or their weight like that there's not that psychological aspect to it like there is in anorexia and of course just like the rest of them that we talked about it can't be because of another another medical condition um, or another mental disorder also, it's really important to note that like children who are labeled picky eaters, they're not necessarily in this category. Those who struggle with this, they don't consume enough calories on a daily basis to thrive. So in children, this can stunt growth and in adults, it results in weight loss. So there's some risk factors um, and they can be different in different people, which means two people with the same eating disorder can have very different perspectives or experiences and symptoms. So people with autism or they're on the spectrum, they're more likely to develop it. Um, and same with those with ADHD and uh, intellectual disabilities. So... I I think that it comes down to like sensory issues because people um, on those ty that type of spectrum, a lot of people struggle with some kind of sensitive like uh, sensory sensitivities. So with food, it could be things like texture, whatever. Many children with this, they also have. Um, sometimes have co-occurring anxiety disorders and they're also at a higher risk for other psychiatric disorders. So there's some warning signs. Um, behavioral uh, and psychological warning signs would be like dramatic weight loss and like very dramatic restrictions in the types of or the type or amount of food that they're eating fear like drastic fears of choking or vomiting or they'll only eat certain textures of food and then physical signs um, because both anorexia and the avoidant restrictive uh, involve an inability to get what you need in a day like nutritionally both disorders have fairly similar physical signs and medical consequences so there's difficulty concentrating dizziness fainting sleep problems muscle weakness impaired immune function and in avoidant restriction uh, the body it's it's denied like essential nutrients that it needs to function normally so the body is forced to slow down all of its processes to conserve energy so this can have pretty awful medical consequences. 
overall, and it depends on the amount of time that this goes on, but the body is usually pretty resilient, resilient at coping with stress and eating disorder or disordered behaviors. Um, and lab tests can generally look pretty good, even though someone is at a really high risk of death, which is concerning. <laughs> Uh, so next up, there is anorexia. Uh, usually most people have at least heard about it, but it's characterized by extreme, extreme food restriction and an intense fear of gaining weight. So people with anorexia limit their calories and the types of food that they eat, and eventually they lose weight or can't maintain what would be classified as an appropriate body weight for their age, which I don't like that phrase, but anyway. Um, also, they might exercise compulsively or pu purge the food that they eat through either intentional vomiting or laxatives. Anorexia can happen at any time in life, basically. Any age, sex, gender, race... Um, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, it doesn't matter. You might not think someone who looks normal or larger would have um, any kind of restricting eating disorder, but it's kind of like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover. Also, on the flip side of this, even if someone is very small, that doesn't always mean that they have anorexia or any other eating disorder. It commonly affects teenagers or young adult women, um, but it also occurs in men, and unfortunately, the number is increasing in children and older adults. So it affects approximately 1-2% to of the population, and that might not sound like a lot, but that is still millions of people across the world. So emotional and mental signs of anorexia, again, include like having that intense fear of gaining weight, or being unable to like realistically assess your body weight and shape, uh, like body dysmorphia this is like a really distorted self-image feeling like you're fat even if you're underweight and being in denial of like the seriousness of maybe like a low body weight or some kind of complication that has arisen because of it a lot of the time these people have like this very strong sense of needing to be in control um, and eating is something that they can control. Um, something else would be like, you know, feeling like self-harming or like suicidal thoughts. Some of the behavioral signs are like a very sudden change in dietary preferences, um, like eliminating things. Um, or like constantly calling themselves fat or overweight, even though they're very much not. Um, purging, using diet pills or like appetite suppressants, compulsively um, exercising, like I said. And then a little bit of like the more physical signs are like obviously significant weight loss fairly quickly. Um, 
or like unexplained change in BMI, which is your body mass index. And this is mostly looked at in like children and like still growing adolescents because it comes more obvious because they stop growing. Other physical symptoms of anorexia that are side effects of starvation and malnutrition, and these come with a plethora of health um, diagnoses other than eating disorders, but dizziness and fainting, feeling tired, slow heartbeat or irregular heartbeat, low blood pressure, brain fog, um, shortness of breath, bloating, muscle weakness, thinning hair. So what causes anorexia? I don't think anyone really knows a definitive answer, but there is some answers. So they're very complex conditions. So again, they can't like nail down one reason, but it could include things like genetics, trauma, the environment or culture that you live in. So things like peer pressure, emotional health, um, one thing that I did want to note is how the DSM classifies anorexia. It has BMI criteria, so your body mass index, which I think is kind of silly. Because as I said before, even those with larger bodies can still struggle with eating disorders like anorexia. And this is just kind of one area where the DSM slips up. So anorexia actually has the highest death rate because of complications of malnutrition or starvation. And people with anorexia, they have a six-fold increase in dying compared to the general population and 18 times more likely, um, they're 18 times more likely to die by suicide. So treatment... The biggest challenge in treating anorexia is helping the person recognize and accept that they have an illness. Many people with anorexia deny that they even have an eating disorder. So there's a few strategies, including psychological therapy and like things like nutritional counseling and so on, that go into kind of reversing some of the damage, I guess, to your body. And then also, you know getting to the root of why it happened. So the goals usually include like stabilizing weight, getting like nutrition back on board and eliminating um, binging or purging behaviors if there was any to begin with. And then, yeah, the psych- treating the psychological issues like low self-esteem or distorted thinking patterns. And then developing long-term behavioral changes, like positive behavioral changes. And it can be really hard for people to recover because, again, it is comorbid with other things like depression, anxiety, borderline personality disorder, uh, OCD, and also sometimes substance use disorders, so like addiction issues. So treatment options will vary depending on like what a person needs. Some people might just need outpatient care, or some people might need hospitalization depending on their current state. All right, and next is bulimia. 
So again, there's a couple of things from the DSM-5 that there's three essential features um, of bulimia, and that's the recurrent episodes of binge eating, recurrent inappropriate um, behaviors to compensate to prevent weight gain, and self-evaluation, so evaluating like body shape and weight. And then to qualify for that diagnosis, it has to be going on for, it has to happen at least once a week for three months. So these instances of excessive food consumption, it has to be accompanied by a sense of lack of control to be considered an episode of binge eating. So something that would kind of tip you off to like a loss of control would be like the person is unable to stop eating once they start. And some people even um, say that they disassociate during it or following the, the binging. And so if you don't know what disassociation is, a really simple way to describe it um, is basically like zoning out, like you black out. I mean, some people, like, there's different levels of a disassociation, but, like, the easiest way to describe it is, like, yeah, you, like, zone out. Some people, like, completely black out and, like, don't remember periods of time. So the type of food consumed during the binges varies um, from person to person. Usually people eat something that they maybe normally wouldn't. And these episodes carry a lot of shame and guilt, and most of the time they're done in private, and people like will go out of their way to make sure that nobody knows and nobody ever finds out. So another essential feature of bulimia is the reoccurrent use of um, like inappropriately compensating for the binging. And so a lot of people will end up purging which is either vomiting or using laxatives vomiting is the most common and that's because it's like an immediate thing like it you can feel the the effects immediately and it can relieve um like physical discomfort and immediately you know that like your body's not absorbing that so you're not afraid to gain weight In some cases, like, the vomiting actually becomes the goal in itself, and the individual will binge in order to vomit, or will vomit after only eating, like, a small amount of food. People also, they might fast for a day or more, or exercise excessively to try to not gain weight after, like, a a binging session. Um, An exercise... It might be considered excessive when it really interferes with important activities. So, like, if you're late for work because you were too busy exercising or, like, you thought that you really needed exercise. Um, Or when it occurs at, like, inappropriate times or in inappropriate settings. Like, if you're at work, like, doing push-ups when that's not your job, that's, that's a problem. Also, in that category, if people are, like going hard even though they're like hurt or have other medical conditions um that's also a little bit of a red flag so 
people with um, bulimia, they it closely resembles those with anorexia in that their fear of gaining weight, like there's that fear of gaining weight and a desire to lose weight, and they're just dissatisfied with their bodies. But there are differences between anorexia and bulimia. So anorexia and bulimia, they're both eating disorders. They can have similar symptoms like that distorted body image or a fear of gaining weight. Um, But people who have anorexia, um, they severely reduce their calorie intake. People who have bulimia, they eat an excessive amount of food in a very short period of time, which that's the binge eating. And then that's followed by certain behaviors to prevent weight gain so that's like the vomiting or the laxatives or enemas some people even use thyroid hormones to make sure that their body doesn't metabolize things properly and then there's like the fasting or the excessive exercise and it's also worth noting that people with bulimia sometimes they maintain their weight at like optimal or slightly above optimal levels where people with anorexia typically have a lower than average BMI. And next there is binge eating disorder. So binge eating disorder is where you frequently consume unusually large amounts of food or feel unable to stop eating, which this is sounding a little bit familiar to some of the other um, eating disorders, but it is its own entity. And it's important to note that overeating and binge eating are not the same. Overeating can be described as like consuming more food than your body needs at a given time. Most people overeat on occasion, like during holidays or birthdays or whatever. Binge eating is less common and, and it it has that psychological distress to it. So, binge eating disorder affects about 2% of the world's population. And again, that might sound low, but that's still millions of people around the world. So, symptoms typically include like eating unusually large amounts of food in that small, specific amount of time. Um, And feeling like your eating is out of control, like you can't stop once you start or like you can't control your cravings. And so people will end up eating when they're full or they're not hungry. Um, People might eat very rapidly during these um, episodes or until they're like uncomfortably full or even like vomiting. And it's usually done alone or in in secret because there's a lot of, like, guilt and shame and disgust and um, a lot of negative feelings that come with it. So, unlike a person with bulimia, after a binge, you don't regularly compensate for extra calories by vomiting, usually, um, if you have a binge eating disorder, um, or using laxatives or... excessively exercising um you might try to diet or eat normal meals but um the thing with binge eating is restricting your diet it might actually lead to 
more binge eating episodes. It kind of backfires like that. So the causes, again, are unknown, but they're the same. The same thoughts are kind of thought to cause the same as the other um, disorders, eating disorders. Things like genetics, biological factors, long-term dieting, psychological issues, um, they all kind of increase the risk. It could be triggered by trauma, and that feeling of needing to be in control is like, it's important. Um, But it's not just one simple explanation. There's also like risk factors involved in like family history. So if like your parents or a sibling had an eating disorder or there's like inherited genes somewhere, there's also dieting in general. Like a lot of people with binge eating disorder, they have a history of dieting. Um, Dieting or restricting calories during the day. Again, that might trigger this like urge to binge eat, especially if depression is involved. And then there's, like, other psychological issues. Um, Usually, many people with binge eating disorder, they have, like, a very negative view of themselves and their, like, skills or accomplishments. They just really don't feel great about themselves. Um, And then, like, triggers, like, stress. With feeding and eating disorders, it's not just about the food, which this is why they're recognized as psychiatric disorders. People develop them develop them as a way of dealing with a lot deeper issues or uh, other psychological conditions like anxiety or depression. So there are some complications um, for or that can be caused by binge eating disorder. So things like poor quality of life, problems functioning at work or in your personal life or social situations, obesity. um, There's like medical conditions related to obesity, obesity, like joint problems, heart disease, diabetes, um, sleep apnea um, or sleep related breathing disorders treatment for this uh, is similar to others so the goal is to reduce eating binges and create like healthy eating habits because binge eating can be so intertwined with shame and poor self-image and other negative things Um, so treatment has to address those things and any other mental health issues like depression so again one of the things is like feeling like you're in control of your eating so there has to be like healthy habits created around that too and then there's the usual things like psychotherapy whether that's like individual or group sessions some of some examples of like therapy would be cbt or interpersonal psychotherapy which it focuses on your relationship with other people and so it's used to like improve your people skills and how do you relate to others including like your family or your friends and then there's uh dbt which is dialectical um behavior therapy and this is something that like helps you tolerate stress and regulate your emotions and improve your relationships with others um so that's definitely like a big key to 
a lot of um, psychiatric issues, not just or food issues. And then there's also medications um, that have been FDA approved for binge eating disorder specifically. One of them is Vyvanse, which I didn't know and that kind of surprised me. That's a stimulant and it's usually, well, it is used for um, ADD, ADHD. Um, And then there's like, of course, antidepressants. And medication can be helpful to like curve behaviors and that's great, but um, medications like that don't have a huge impact on weight loss, which a lot of people with eating disorders, um, particularly binge eating disorder, that's kind of what they're looking for. So there's behavioral weight loss programs. Um, and again, a lot of people who have had binge eating disorders, they have had many failed attempts to lose weight on their own. So when it comes to like recovery from uh, binge eating, um, weight loss programs usually aren't recommended until the binge eating disorder is treated or at least on well on its way because dieting can trigger more binge eating episodes. So that makes weight loss not easy. So when necessary, weight loss programs... Um, can be done under under medical supervision. So that just is to make sure that your nutritional requirements are being met. And then they usually, these weight loss programs usually come with a side of CBT uh, therapy on top. So one thing about eating disorders that I don't know if a lot of people think about when they think about these things is like, it's it would be really hard to recover from this because you have to eat multiple times a day every day it's not like and I don't want to like downplay other addictions because addiction is so hard but imagine if you will if we all needed heroin to live that's our life force. So you need to have like just the appropriate amount every day. That's kind of like what food is to somebody who has struggled with some kind of eating disorder. Um, we'll just keep on with the binge eating disorder. So that's like handing an alcoholic one beer three times a day and you're like, this is all you're getting. But like keep it keep it under wraps like it would be so hard um so yeah it's really difficult because you have to deal with food on a daily basis so some of the things that are recommended um to help cope with that is just be like ease up on yourself like take some of the pressure off um and try this is so easy to say and so hard to do but like Don't buy into your own self-criticism. And then this takes a little bit of like self-awareness, but identifying situations that might trigger um, disordered eating behavior in you, that can help you develop a plan of like how to deal with them. And then also finding healthy ways to nurture yourself by doing something just for fun or to relax, like... These are cliche, but like 
yoga or going for a walk or like whatever it is for you like that's a very individualistic path because I feel like self-care like self-care things have been like curated and just like shoved down everybody's throats and like no bubble baths and yoga and meditation even and like just it doesn't work for everybody and that's okay um one of the last things that does help more people though um and again it's not gonna help everybody but journaling about your feelings or just your behaviors um it can make you more aware of your feelings and your and your behaviors and your actions and even how they're related like I know I've done this I wasn't I'm still not the biggest fan of journaling but I actually found out that it is very helpful to me because sometimes I will just float through my own little world and not even realize what I'm doing and then I'll go back and read something from like three months ago and be like oh (laughs) that was yeah I was just completely oblivious but something like that can um can definitely help so I have a feeling I have a feeling this episode's gonna be another long one (laughs) um and it's gonna be a little bit too long for question period but if you have a burning question, feel free to DM me on Instagram at Firefly Psychology. Um, or you can wait until the anonymous links are posted, which they're posted fairly often, and you can send them send them that way if you want to do it more anonymously. I truly do not know who is sending what. Like, it's truly anonymous, and I'm never going to name names here. Um depending on how dire the question is because I've gotten some questions and I'm like ooh, I should probably answer that like soon um depending on how dire the question is I will reply if it's not anonymous because if it's anonymous I don't know who I'm talking to but if you just dm me I'll try and reply fairly quickly but it might also end up in a future episode um and again I would never out anybody here so your secrets are safe with me or your questions are safe with me and i hope you all enjoy your day night evening whatever time you're listening to this wherever you're listening to this thank you for keeping up and being patient i know that the episodes have been a little spotty lately yeah thanks for listening and uh until next time bye Nice when I look at my reflection without tearing off. I'm tearing myself down. But what happens when the day comes and I still feel the same? Cause I'm never satisfied with where I am.